0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Great to see everybody today. Uh, really want to start today and honor, give some honor to our graduates at Pepperdine yesterday. So, really encouraged. Sarah Kamara, Bailey Bosworth. Um, Debbie and Elizabeth Chow. Right, can you guys sort of give us a quick stand if you guys are here? Can we, uh, where are you? Here's Elizabeth. And uh, we love all the other ones. Um, just great stuff to see our kids grow up and go to school and graduate. Mom and dad, thank God I got to graduate. Uh, now we get to go on to the next stage of, um, do you have a job yet? You know, so you never stop talking. You just change what you talk about. Yeah. A great little study came out Last week, you know, I referenced this quote a lot by um, Thoreau. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. Most live lives of quiet desperation. There's a study that came out a couple of weeks ago that's trying to measure the attention span of the millennial group coming up. And they have a little bit of a baseline from a similar test, I believe they did in the 60s or 70s. And in the 60s or the 70s, whenever this was the first test, test one, the attention span of 18-year-olds was roughly 13 seconds. Which means, you know, we expose them to a whole bunch of things for a few minutes. And then we try and get them to read. you got to focus, you got to read. And when you feel distracted... You you hit the little button. You're like, I'm out. Eject. And they'd get to about 13 seconds. So this generation, they just did the same test, is at six seconds. So you guys have lost, let's do the math, seven seconds, seven seconds. Is that a big deal? Well, the attention span of a goldfish is seven seconds. (laughs) And I'm not quite sure how they... What they have the goldfish read, but somehow they measure the goldfish and he can watch something for seven seconds. He's tracking. He's tracking. I'm out. And this group has. Um, so most live, most live lives of quiet desperation, or I think this next generation, most live lives of quiet distraction. So I think our adults our millennials, and everything in between, that gets just about all of us. We're somewhere between desperation and distraction. And hopefully there's some thoughts in 1 Corinthians 15 today and um, a couple of thoughts from Tim Keller's book that will help us, uh, encourage us, and move us forward today. I'm a big reader. I love to run and I love to read. Those are sort of my two go-to things. Literature is great in capturing human experience. And two big works that were hugely influential and continue to be influential today are Don Quixote's work, the work by Cervantes, Don Quixote. And this is a book that's largely about his obsession with Dulcinea, and, of course, Dante's work and the work that he did there, The Inferno. And these two books capture... Things in my mind that I think are really important, I think Don Quixote captures this idea of madness, of losing your mind, of being in despair, of being in so much despair that you start going a little crazy, of being in despair, so much despair you don't trust yourself. Being in so much despair you're not thinking clearly. Um, Dante's work is, you know, uh, scary. It is. There's a lot of madness in there. There's a lot of madness in there. He looks a little crazy. These people look a little crazy. What's going on in here? This looks a little crazy. And we'll go back and forth between this too. And I'll just, for for the the greatest sort of generalization, we're bouncing back and forth between madness and badness. Uh, we've, we have our own things that make us mad and we have our own things that can make us bad. But in both of these things, there is an overlying thing that I think is really important. They've got a love of their life, that they're really obsessed with. And we're here at church, we're trying to get closer to God, trying to know His Word better, trying to do better in the community. And today's thoughts we're going to talk about resurrection aren't again about how many more things I've got to do to win Christian points and perform better as a Christian. A lot of these thoughts again today and resurrection is a lot about You gotta find what, you gotta find something inside of you, an inner muse, an inner motivation that spurs you on, that calls you higher, that elevates your soul. And this is great because Dulcinea, you know, her name's not even really Dulcinea. Sancho's with Don there, the whole story. And Don keeps talking about Dulcinea. Dulcinea, Dulcinea, Dulcinea. And he's like, who's, Sancho, who's, I don't even know who you're talking about. Who's Dulcinea? Sancho, you don't know anything. Look, there she is. She's over there. There's Dulcinea. S- Sancho goes, that's, um, um, I can't remember her name. That's like, that's Maria, the farm girl. That's just Maria, the farm girl. Don, Don, Don hits him in the back of the head. You don't, you don't know anything. That's my princess. That's Dulcinea del Toboso. You know, that's that moment where Sanchez is kind of like, Oh wow! Okay, and Maria doesn't know what to do with this either because he's kind of looks like he's losing his mind a little bit. But you got to have that. This is the thing that calls him, that calls him higher. Uh, Dante, obviously, he's in purgatory. He's in the the inferno. He's not trying to work himself out of levels of hell. He's trying to find Beatrice. He's got to find Beatrice. He loves Beatrice. And if he can't find Beatrice, then life isn't really worth living. We're not trying to get you to another level of performance. We're not trying to get you to another level of money or another level of graduation or another level of of car or social status or whatever it might be. We're not trying to level up. We're trying to find something inside a Beatrice, a Dulcinea. Even greater, right, as as Christians, a resurrected Christ. A Jesus, a Lord that sets such an incredible example for us. That now we have real answers and a real path. And not something that's shaming us and beating us up. But something that's calling us higher and elevating us and inspiring us to go forward. We've got to find that thing. If you're not in touch with that thing, then you're going to have a hard time making it as a Christian. We baptize a lot of teenagers in our church. Amen? Amen. And we got some teenagers that are studying the Bible. We love that. Amen. But we lose a lot of teenagers when they go to college. And we all know some. Yeah, my best buddy got baptized. We were juniors in high school. And then he became a freshman, went to college, and and left God, left the church. And what happens? Why Why is this so common? Why this theme? Because there's a different muse. There's something that replaced Jesus. There's something else that that we fell in love with. And usually it's another person. Usually it's another person. You know, I was a freshman. I was kind of lonely. And, and this guy liked me. And that was exciting. And I didn't know how to say no. And so, you know, I was gone. And we've got to go a lot deeper than that, church. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to really think about what we're doing and trying to shape Christ inside of each and every one of us. You know, we don't come to church just because I'll feel guilty if I don't come. My mom or dad or my roommate will get mad at me. We don't come to church for that. We come to church because we want to get inspired. We want to see our brothers and sisters. And because we're worshiping, celebrating what? The most important thing in our life. And, you know, sometimes preaching's a little boring or a little long or not exciting, but it's not about preaching and preachers, amen. It's about what we worship and who we are and our mission and our calling and our hope forward and our ability to get a hug in and keep each other on a super important path in life. Amen, church? So let's talk a little bit about this. We used to sing a song called Up From the Grave He Arose. This was a great song. We'll probably never sing it again. And the teenagers are like, what's that song? It's not a Hillsong song. (laughs) Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. Everybody has some darkness working inside of them. We're all working out and working through some darkness. And this is a great song highlighting, talking about resurrection. And what did Jesus do? Why is he so special? He overcame darkness with a mighty triumph over his foes. Vainly, they watch his bed. Jesus, my Savior. Vainly, they seal the dead. Wow, vainly they seal the dead. Jesus, our one that can overcome death. And, of course, this is the last uh, to be defeated, the last enemy to be defeated in First Corinthians 15. He conquers death itself. Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. I want you to think a little bit about your bars. Think a little bit about how you get stuck. Think a little bit about your darkness and what it is. And you know what? Self-help and a lot of psychology and a lot of philosophy and a lot of music and drug abuse and gambling and all the things we try and do to escape darkness. They're not very effective. They create what? Usually just more darkness. Usually just more darkness. How are you going to get up? How are you going to arise a victor? How are you going to get up off of a deathbed? What hope is there for you to defeat death and how it's working inside of you? These are some of our most significant and important questions, and I believe they lead to the most important decisions that we then make about our lives and going forward. Ken, Chaz, myself, we've been reading Tim Keller's book, Reason for God. Reason for God is sort of an overview or his take synthesis of a lot of apologetics that are out there, a lot of uh, reason for faith, know why you believe. There's good reasons to believe what you what we believe as Christians. Um, He talks about the cross and forgiveness. The second half of the book, Chad did a, Chad did a great job last week talking about unbelief. He's talking to skeptics. And we love that. Mark nine. Lord, help me with My unbelief. We all have some of that, don't we? We're here, we're looking for Jesus, but we still have some unbelief also that's inside of us that we're trying to work out. He also then, in the second book, or in the second part of the book, is talking a lot about the resurrection and the hope that it gives us and how this hope is transformative. So the book sorta is two big points of there's good reasons to believe. And then once you believe, you should have this kind of experience, a transformative experience. An experience that you always look back at and sort of count time from. You know serious, real change in your life. So read read with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15. A couple weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians 15 for Easter. Again, I just love the chapter, and I couldn't get out of it. Hey, that's not a bad thing if you can't get out of Easter, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to get stuck, get stuck in Easter. I'm going to start in verse one. Now, brothers, I want to remind you, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand by this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. That's a big one. We all do things in vain sometimes it's our appearance and there's some vanity. This is speaking more to what's worthless in your life. What are you doing that's that's a vanity that's not worth anything? Um there was a criticism of the Christians, you guys live these lives in vain because you believe in this Jesus and if he's not real then you do all this Christian stuff and it's in vain. I think that's a that's a super important for the Christian, a question for the Christian to ask ourselves, are we really believing in vain? Am I really going to church in vain? Am I praying in vain? Uh, Talked about the contribution. Am I giving my contribution in vain? That's a good question. Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then the twelve, and after He appeared After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So we have this account in this letter of Jesus, not about the cross, but of his resurrection. Remember, guys, don't you remember? When he came back, the twelve, uh, Peter, James, John, uh, Bartholomew, Matthew, all these guys. Remember, they all saw Jesus. They all saw him. And of course, the women saw him. They were the first ones to see him. Mary and Martha. They're the first. Remember, Mary, Mar- Mary and Martha saw him. Yeah, OK, well, then who else? Remember, and then the 500 saw him. He appeared to the 500. 500 saw him. That's no small number. You know, if it's just one person, you think, you know, maybe he had a bad dream. All right, I always do that. With Abraham, God talks to Abraham. Nobody else is there. And so he's got to tell Sarah and convince Sarah, God talked to me. It was really awesome. Sarah, really? Uh, I'm not sure about that. But this is, five, this is 12 plus 500, and then, of course, uh, the, the women, and then he refers to himself. And then, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. These people saw him, and they recognized him in his body. They recognized that it was Jesus. He wasn't in um strange angel body. I think a lot of us, there's that perception, we're going to die, you go to heaven, and we all look like this crowd of um, angel bodies, sort of angel body-ish. No, they go, that's Jesus. They recognized him. And even in his resurrected body, he says to Thomas, Thomas, you can put your finger in my side and you can touch my hands. So this is his real body. They recognized who he was. This would be really easy. This would be really easy if 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 there's some real opponents to Christianity from day one. The Jewish religious elite and, of course, the Roman authorities. And we know, what do we know? They both hated Jesus and this whole thing called Christianity and the Christians. So the easiest thing in the world, when they're in control of the body, is to maintain the dead body. Guys, whatever we do, let's have a staff meeting. There's a lot of things we have to do this week. But um, Matt Leitner, you're in charge of the body. Don't lose the body. <laughs> you lose the body, Matt, you're fired, right? Okay. And let's get a couple other guys on this. We can't lose this body. This is a big deal. So if you lose the body, then you believe in vain. Who's believed? We're going to talk about that later. Is this a reasonable thing to believe? Is it reasonable to believe in a resurrected person? The first time I read about this argument, and I still think it's really great, and I want to ask my dad's, my mom's, do some of this with your kids. This is a really important thing, I think, intellectually to try and talk to your kids about for is there good reasons to believe in what we believe. And in the early mid-1850s, this argument was first sort of presented by Mark Hopkins, later by Chesterton, later by Lewis. I first read it, read it uh, John MacArthur, in um, more uh, evidence that demands a verdict. And it's this idea, Jesus, we have a trilemma. There's a trilemma. Jesus is either mad, he's crazy, or he's bad, he's literally trying to um, hurt us, lead people astray, he has some sort of personal gain, there's some personal agenda in this for him, he's bad and he's deceiving us, or he's God, he's mad, he's bad, or he's God later, you know, you think about the things that he says, his claims, he claims, I am the son of God. Now, when you meet somebody and you're having Chipotle with them, and they just sort of mention, by the way, I am the son of God. You wonder about this person. That's just, he didn't do this once. He did this many times. That's not what someone just in their rational mind says. Is he crazy or is he self-deluded? He forgives people of sins. That's serious narcissism, isn't it? That's really narcissistic. That's a lot of um, self-grandiose that you could forgive sins. We all know only God can really forgive sins, but Jesus claims that he forgives sins, that he has the power to forgive sins. In John 6, he makes this other claim. If you really want to follow me, Right? We've got students, they join clubs. You've got to do things to join clubs. That would be weird, right? If you really want to join our club, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a weird on-ramp. That sounds cannibalistic. That's very cannibal, cannibalistic, isn't it? And this is, He's talking to the Jews, really, you know, everything's got to be kosher and there's a lot of food laws. This would not be a popular or a populist claim. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's insane. That's crazy. So when we think about the things that he's saying about himself, we have to ask. Christ either deceived people by conscious fraud, or he was deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. True or false, if it's true, He's the Messiah. He's the one that they were talking about in the Old Testament. It's true. And if it's false, then we really should stop paying attention to this person. I was studying the Bible with uh, Harry the other day, and he was at this group, and um, it was supposed to be a Christian group. And one of the guys was sharing, and he says, um, "You know, I really don't believe in the resurrection. A lot of the miracles. I think that's. I think those are just allegories or metaphors. But I'm here because it's." good to be here. Jesus is good. And nowhere in here is this part of what Jesus is trying to say, nor is this the Christian's statement, come join us because we're good. He's trying to save people from something, and he's trying to give them a direction, and he's making an incredible claim about being the Messiah, about being the Son of God. And so we're stuck then with this trilemma. He's crazy or he's a liar, or he's Jesus. And I liked, again, I I don't know, I was in college, MacArthur says he's either, then he's either our Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. And this is a great way for our young people, again, to think about their faith and who is Jesus and what's going on with Jesus. you got a trilemma. This is a great way to frame it and think about it and talk to our friends about it. Moms, dads, this is a great way. This is good devotional stuff for our kids. Do you understand the Lord, liar, lunatic thing? If we got an empty grave... And the Jews and the Romans had authority over that. What happened? We've got these witnesses. We've got people making claims that they saw him. So then where is he? One, two, if he's not there, then what went on? Is he he our Lord? Is he a liar? Or is he a lunatic? That's good reason to believe, church. I think we have some really solid historical evidence. I think there's great reason to believe. Now, what do we do with that belief? Let's read on. Again, I'm still in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to start in verse 31. I die every day. Wow. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised. Ah! Ah! Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he's talking, of course, to the Corinthians, a very Greek place. This would be very popular with the Epicureans. Yeah, eat and drink because everything else is meaningless. Eat and drink. Why? Because there is no real philosophy or religion or spirituality. None of it's real. It's all meaningless. Just eat and drink and die. You want to study this, you want to elevate, you want to free yourself, you want to be better and bigger. Or lo- it's all meaningless. Eat, drink, die. And that's a lot, I think that's a lot how we live in America. We have claims about being Christian or spiritual or better than, yeah, but it's mostly eat, drink, and die. Our neighborhoods, the people we're at school with, is mostly, how do, how do we mostly live? Eat, drink, and die. Now, let's go back and the. he says, you know... If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus... Now, I, I, this really caught me a couple of weeks ago. Fought wild beasts in Ephesus? What was Paul doing in Ephesus? Who was he fighting in Ephesus? I don't remember this anywhere in the book of Acts. Is he, is he fighting lions? Is, he in the, is there some kind of Colosseum in Ephesus? And he's, and he's in a Colosseum and he's trying to fight lions? Or did they sick, sick kind of wild dogs on him? What's he talking about? Fight wild beasts. Well, we believe, a lot of commentators believe this is a euphemism for dealing with one's passions. Let's think of wild beasts, which fits this a lot better than as dealing with one's passions. Now it makes sense. Ah, I was fighting wild beasts. I was really struggling with myself in Ephesus. I was trying to overcome something because I was going through something hard. We think about Romans seven, the good I want to do. I don't do the thing. I don't want to do that thing. I keep on doing, gosh, I'm a crazy person, but I'm trying to be a Christian, and then it feels crazy. I want to do this. I don't do that. I don't want to do that. I end up doing that. Yeah, that's this dilemma that we're always kind of in. He's fighting wild beasts. He's trying to fight these passions inside. He's trying to overcome a lot of what's going on inside of him. Look over here in Galatians chapter 5. I want to read this. We talked a little bit about this this morning with the In Motion group. I'm so excited about our In Motion group. Our In Motion group is not a place where you come to feel sorry for yourself. It's not where the sulky emo Christians go. Oh, we got some sulky emo Christians. They hang out in In motion. (laughs) And listen to sad emo music. This is just, we're trying to change and grow, and we think about people that are in this trying to change and grow, and sometimes like, I don't know, have a hamburger, hang out. I mean, get over yourself, right? A lot of us other people, we sort of think like that. Kind of, you know, get over it already. And when I was a young Christian, I thought a lot, you know, we know, we're really well familiar with Galatians 5.19. This is the acts of the sinful nature. They're obvious. Boy, I had this one memorized. Right? I knew this so well. And then someone said, have you ever read what comes after it? I'm like, nothing comes after it, right? That's the end of the book. I've never read beyond. I've been a Christian 10 years. I've never read. I thought the book ended right there. No, there's, there's a whole other chapter. There is? No, there's not. No, there's not. And I, sure enough, I looked at my Bible. I got all these notes, Galatians 1 through 5.19. And after that, nothing's written. Oh, there's more. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... Mm. Fruit of the Spirit. And we we're talking about this in In Motion. As we change, we want to experience fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace and patience. Kindness and goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its, here we go again, passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What a great thought. But I know as a, I know as a young Christian, I thought, I don't get to experience this or I don't, I have trouble experiencing that because I'm usually still working out acts of the sinful nature. And I can't go into celebration. I can't go into love, joy, peace until I overcome my problems with purity or I overcome anger or overcome my other self-control issues. Until I, over, until I become really self-controlled, then I can't really go into fruits of the spirit. That's for I guess that's for heaven. Maybe in heaven you get some joy and some peace and some love and some patience. That sounds nice. But right now, it's all muscle. It's all willpower. It's all do, get through it. Get through it. And put all your energy into that. And that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what the spirit of this is about. The spirit is about as we are here today worshiping a resurrected Christ. His spirit is in you. And should be prompting you towards love and joy and peace and patience. How much of this Resurrection, witnessed by fruits of the Spirit, is in your marriage. Is there more love, joy, peace, patience than there is criticism, hostility, and coldness? How about parent child? Is there a lot of love, joy, peace, patience? Or is there a lot of demand and expectation and denial and frustration and pushback? That's not Holy Spirit. That's not resurrection. That's what we all do in the world. That's how we grew up when we weren't Christians. And don't get down on yourselves. We're all battling this. This is part of our process, getting to that place. Well, I've got to have these big victories before I can get into a better mood. That's where you got it wrong. That's a deception. That's a lie from the devil. Today, metanoia, repentance, metanoia, changed mind. That's when you start to experience times of refreshing. Not after you've won a gold medal for purity, or you've shared your faith with 500 people, or you gave more money than you've ever given, and you want to give yourself a medal. That's just worthiness and trying to prove yourself. That's not what Jesus is about. Now, when we're in love, we want to do a lot of things out of good passion. But if it's to prove ourselves and to become worthy in our own eyes or other people's eyes, that's not what real spirituality is about. That's not his gift to us. His gift is an empty tomb. His gift is this fruit that is accessible to us. And so I want you to ask today, how much love is in the tank? How much love is at home? How much love is in your car? You need more. This last week, how much peace and patience is in the home? How much peace and patience is on your computer? How much peace and patience is in your neighborhood? We need more of that. Good self-control. How much is this? How much are we experiencing? We've got to experience this, my challenge. We want to experience this more this week than we ever have before. Just pick one. Just pick one. Now, this, is, uh, this, is a, this has been a bit of a challenging week for our family. We lost A dog this week. And we grew up, we adopted these two dogs, Sam and Max, when when the girls started school. So they grew up, they went through the the girls whole elementary school, middle school, high school, and off to college. And we lost Max a year and a half ago. And just this last week, Sam was almost 13. I mean, you know, you always sort of heartbroken you lose a dog. He started to get some seizures. And he's just old. He's just an old dog. And he was a Parvo survivor, and we always thought, I don't know how long we got with Sam. Is he going to make it? He's always like this little overcomer. Um, he's like the little engine, just keeps on motoring along. And he outlived everybody. But uh, he had a little seizure on Thursday night, and he stopped breathing, and he's in, he's in the house with us. And, you know, there's that terrible couple of moments of watching your dog die. And it just, t- it takes your breath away. It's just stunning. And you feel this incredible hole inside. You're like, I, you know, that's normal. They're supposed to die at this age. I get it. But now I'm, oh, I'm just grieving. Why am I grieving so much? Because God designed the brain and He designed it to attach itself and to love and to have these connections. And people are wonderful, right? But most of our trouble is we find with difficult people, right? And I've just always grown up with dogs, and and dogs, no matter what, they always sort of embody this. You can be in a terrible mood, and you know what Sam looks like? Full of love and joy and peace and patience. And I want to get mad and curse and yell, and you know what he wants to do? Go for a walk and be loving. And I want to cry and be upset, and you know what he wants to do? Sit with you and do nothing. Nothing. And I had the worst day. I got fired. I got an F. Everybody hates me. You know what the dog wants to do? He thinks you're the best thing in the world. Just wants to sit with you. Go for a walk. Same walk as yesterday. That's great. Five minutes. I'll look at him. I had the worst day. You can't even believe what I'm going through. You know what he does? He just looks at me and he wags his tail. So says, it sounds tough. But I love you. And you just never have an experience. You can't have a human experience where every single interaction is love and joy and peace and patience. I feel like God gave us these dogs to always, that's what we should experience when we're in his presence. And so we've got to crucify or put aside this God that is demanding, kicking and beating us up and screaming at us for being bad or mad. And try to understand the fruits of the spirit. This is his nature, and he wants us. At, uh, Psalm 16: Ever is the Lord before me, and in His presence I feel joy. And let's become more and more of that for each other, and experience that more and more when we're with God in prayer, in reading our Bible. This incredible presence of love, joy, peace, and patience. And of course, we're never out of the first part, dealing with our nature, dealing with our passions. But this is a resurrected and empty tomb. The one thing, not willpower. This empty tomb is the one thing that allows us to build a life which transcends passions, flesh, and this sort of stuff. We love you. We love the church. We're so excited for how far we've come with each other. We're going to pause at this time and close out our service with one last song. God bless you. God bless the church. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.